0: It's New York, Yo, it's a New York, yo, it's a new
1: And welcome to Crash Court's Autographs. Today, Matt welcomes Fauxpas La Fay and Aurora North, together known as the Brides of Burlesque. Hailing from New York City, the duo's productions, dance routines, and burlesque performances have taken the cabaret tradition to a new place. Queer and trans-inspired burlesque, cirque, and world-class modern dance are brought together in provocative art. With the duo, Matt chats about their new monthly variety show at Bizarre Bushwick, DJed by Matt himself. They also chat about how they got their start in performance in burlesque, their background in theater and dance, how they create new performances, and what goes into producing a variety show versus a burlesque show. And so, from their production company, Kinetic Cabaret Productions, to how the duo met, fell in love, and got married, here's presenting Matt Storm and the Brides of Burlesque.
2: And welcome to Autographs. I am Matt, aka Stormageddon, and my guests this week are the Brides of Burlesque.
0: Hello. Hi.
2: Um... I have with me Faux and Aurora North. Um, thank you for taking the time to be on my show.
0: Sure. Thanks for having us.
2: Yeah. Um, I just want to tell you that the first time I ever saw you both perform was when you did your Baker act mm. at Bizarre <laughs> Bushwick. Oh, yeah. And so I had not seen either of you before. I had oh, not yeah. met you before. That's I see, nice
0: intro. I, right. I
2: see that act and like about, you know, the first half is very playful and a little tame and it gets raunchier and raunchier and the, until the mess at the end. And... I'm just watching the act going, oh, 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 Oh. and it's, it was just, it's so fun and so ridiculous. Um, When you, I want to start talking with talking about your duets. When you make an act together, do you create it together as well? Does it start with one person's idea and then you build on it? Like, how does that come to be?
3: Sometimes both. Um, It really depends on, it really just depends on the duet. Um, Sometimes we'll both come up with the idea, and then our our rehearsals are always collaborative that way. Mm -hmm. Um, Or sometimes one of us will have an idea for a theme that we want to explore, and then we bounce ideas off of each other.
0: Right. Um, You know, like with any process, I think we have a process once we have a clear idea of what we're making that, that is maybe familiar to us together. Sometimes it's because we know... Well, we don't like to make one-offs. We right. know that that maybe there's some sort of topic or theme, so we sort of let that rattle, and one of us will get the, the seed of the idea. Mm-hmm. With that number you're speaking of, um, it literally started as I wanted after after Prince died to do something to a Prince song, right. but I didn't want to do what might be expected, like we we're wearing
2: you don't want to be like a tribute, or
0: yeah. Yeah. And, well, well, I mean. We, you know, I've seen amazing Prince impersonators, and we just thought, what can we do? The question I always ask myself, just like with my Hello Kitty act, that's to David Bowie, is, if they were alive, like would they think want to see this? Right, right. Would they love seeing this to their music? And so I don't remember how this popped into my brain, but I said, just wait, don't. what if we did a tribute also to the iconic I Love Lucy episode? And it's really about the one with the conveyor belt. Right, where they're trying to make um, the cakes. But we riffed it into a cake with pastry cream instead for the song cream. And the thing that's great, that I love, the detail, our costumer, Lori Gossie, Lori Gossie Designs, there's your shout out, <laughs> that I've worked with for years and now you have as <laughs> well. Um the colors, the the pink and brown on the dresses, she researched, even though the episode is in black and white, that's the actual colors the studio audience saw. Mm-hmm. Wow. So she was so detailed, she said, you know, I want it to be the colors the studio audience would have seen in the live taping. Yeah. So you're yeah. really seeing the authentic colors as well of those costumes, yeah.
3: She's also amazing, and she whipped that out, those those dresses out in like two days because we found out, okay, well, the box wants this act and they want it next week and we're going to tech it in two days. Can you make them, please?
0: (laughs) Yeah, the box is really... um, I mean, we love working there. It's for for years now, but they're very unpredictable in that sometimes you pitch an idea and... Two weeks later, they say, let's see a run-through, but sometimes you pitch an idea, and a week later, you're checking it on stage, mm-hmm. so it depends on the mood of the staff, you know, how it strikes them. And yeah.
2: how did you discover the box, and how did that gig
0: start? Because you've been doing that for a
2: long time now.
3: i has been doing it for, what, five years? Five years. And I've been there three or four, I can't recall. Um and it's
0: somewhere in between two and three, maybe, for you No,
3: 2013, 2014. So, so four? that's four, four years. Yeah, so you were you were five. Yeah,
0: that's right. Because so you, I was there a year and then we...
3: Yeah, so you found out about the box through Rose.
0: Rose Wood, um, who I consider uh, like one of my show grandmas. Dirty Martini and Rose are part of my lineage. And Rose is now under exclusive contract at the box, but years back did perform at other places. Mm-hmm. And I just was booked on Hypergender, um, Jay-Z Bitch's show, and Rose was on the show and after Rose said you need to be at the box so just took me under her wing and for about eight months we workshopped an act my um, Marie Antoinette act which I had done a few times offsite, but we really reshaped it uh, Lori, that was the first costume Lori did and that was the first act that got into the rep of mine at the box and they still have run it and then now we have a couple duets you have some solos
3: you have, like, four solos. I uh, have
0: several solos. So now, you know, we have, well, we rotate in regularly um, every few weeks into the show, yeah.
2: Something I've noticed about both of your acts is that there there is a sense of uh, comedy and comedic timing, but there's also a sense of drama, especially in very specific acts. Like, your Marie Antoinette act is just a very big and epic experience. The way it's designed, the way you, you perform it, and was that... You said you just said that you reworked it a bit. Was that always the vision for that act?
0: Um, I th- Well, the original version I did for way back when world-famous Bob lived in New York, mm-hmm. she did a regular... For several years, burlesque at the beach Show mm-hmm. called World Famous Bob's Drag Race, which was sort of a fun take on Drag Race. Right. So very much not nasty, competitive, really fun. Right. And um, I was in the first year of it, the inaugural, and so we had to do two mm-hmm. numbers in a bathing suit competition, <laughs> and that was one of the numbers I did, and it, it was like the first time I ever did it,
3: which was not at and all. And it doesn't what it look is anything
0: right. like it does now. Um It had the cake in it, and it it had a a costume not as ornate as it does and um, sort of the rough sketch version um, that night, but it wasn't the graphic act you see today. Um, And I just want to say that I was the first Miss Congeniality winner (laughs) at the world-famous Bob's Drag Race, so I didn't win, but apparently everyone really liked me. Well, well, that's Um, good. But yeah, it developed after that. But the vision, I think for that one, it was just sort of a lark to do something glamorous on this faux, this faux beauty pageant. Right. It was like, how, how over the top can I be? And then I thought, well, you know, this... And that's also, it started, we, it, that year before we met was really the year for me I was grappling with um, openly transitioning. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've known... All my life, you know, that I was born in the wrong body. But that's when I started to struggle with I can't do this anymore. I'll be dead in a year if I try to keep pretending to be all these people.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so that's, I think, what uh, inspired the evolution of what you would see today if you see that act. Um, in that I use that iconic figure because, in a way, people like Marie Antoinette or like a Marilyn Monroe or an Elvis Presley or a Lady Di, even though there's a real history, We've we they've become fairy tales to us. Mm-hmm. Like they, they're they're so big to us that the real people couldn't have actually lived up to it anymore. So to me, she's a great vehicle because I don't have to give you any backstory. Right. You know, when I walk out, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't have to explain what her story is. So the fact there's a guillotine, the fact there's cake, there's the, there's violence and there's tragedy and and this high glamour. We don't we know it. We expect it. But I then use that as sort of um, a metaphor for the trans experience and sort of deconstructing this person and the horror they feel at seeing the body that they live in, that it shouldn't be that way. Right. And so the build up to the guillotine, um, you know, this this moment is really this like act of sort of self salvation um, to sort of get rid of these these places on the body that they don't want. So that's how that evolved, yeah. And it's just <laughs>
2: fascinating to see that in the act. Like, you can definitely read it very easily, and it, it, it adds to the the overall drama and struggle and beauty of the act. Um, shifting to one of the more epic acts that I've seen you do, or and it's mostly epic to me because he's my favorite musician of all time, <laughs> which is your Freddie Mercury act, mm-hmm. Um And that, for me, that act is dramatic and big because when you come out dressed as Freddy, you look and feel and act like Freddy. Is that something where you studied him for a long time and, like, got down his mannerisms and really, like, tuned in to who he was?
3: Yeah, I... So I grew up um, with my dad playing a lot of classic rock, like Queen and Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin, uh, U2, The Police... And so I already was familiar with much of his um, music growing up. And um, for this piece, it came about because it was... um, It was Cherry's... Miss Cherry Delight had a Ouija board show Mm -hmm. where she wanted real people who have since passed to come to life through the Ouija board and perform. Um, And this... You were
0: frustrated. You were like, I don't know any dead people I want to play.
3: This was the first solo that I made, wasn't it? It was before
0: Canadian Girl? It was before Canadian...
3: Was it? I don't remember. First or second solo. Right. So um, I really struggled with, okay, well, how do I play this character? Um, How do I put it together where I am paying him the respect that he deserves as such this amazing musician, but also making it not just a straight... uh, Impersonation, right? Um, so I did watch a lot of videos um, because that was one thing. Well, I heard his music growing up. I didn't really see a lot of concerts or videos footage, right? Um, so I did study a lot of his music videos and the live, was it the Live Aids um, or Live yeah. Aids concert? Mm-hmm. Yeah. hmm um, Yeah. So I and that and when I saw that look, I knew that's the final look that I want is that white all white outfit. Um, But I thought, so yes, I'm going to to lip-sync and yes, I'm going to impersonate him, but what can the evolution be? So I just picked different songs that stood out to me Mm -hmm. and tried to play out those music videos. So it opens with, um, well, Bohemian Rhapsody, he's not in a cloak that just is to cover everything, so you don't really see. But then goes into the look from I Want to Break Free where he's in drag and that's really fun for me to Play to be a drag king, playing Freddie, playing d- uh, dressing up in drag as a woman. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just thought, okay, well, let's just take different looks and different of, dif- of his different songs and play with those.
2: It's, it's just for as someone like I said, as someone who, because I, I DJed that show, the Ouija Board show, <laughs> um, and you know, I saw you both do incredible acts that that blew me away. But what was really great about all the performers in that show is everybody. So truly pr- pervade and and just embodied these these characters these these larger than life real people who have become fiction and for me as a Queen fan I f- it was it's like it's the closest I ever feel like I'll be in the room with Freddie Mercury Aww, I'll never yeah. get to see live but um but it was just a really cool experience thank you um now you of course operate now under the title The Brides of Burlesque obviously yes. before you met you were not The Brides of Burlesque Friends so how did that how did that evolve? How did you guys decide, A, was did you decide on the moniker? Was it given to you? And like, how have you evolved that brand since?
3: I think it started after, well, uh, obviously after we got married. but right. um the weekend after our wedding, we flew to Denver to headline at-
0: We were headlining Fierce International Burlesque Festival. Queer, queer
3: Burlesque queer, Festival. Queer, sorry. Mm-hmm.
0: Fier, queer, Fierce, what is it called? Fierce
3: International Queer Burlesque Festival, I think.
0: It's a long name. It's a long name <laughs> it's a it's called Fierce, and it's an international burlesque festival that is um queer based. So <laughs> yeah. Viva, sorry that we're not saying the title of your festival exactly Viva. right but it floats cities, yeah, it'll be in Toronto this year. It's a really awesome festival, but we we were flying out to do that festival. And I think we decided it would be like we just thought of one on a lark as a tagline. Uh-huh. Like, right. Well gosh, we have our individual names. Let's th- what how should they introduce Faux and Aurora, the Brides of Burlesque. Because right. everyone and needs a tagline. So line, I think so. for a couple shows it was that. And then we were like, why don't we just be introduced as that? So there's a difference between a, a soloist mm-hmm. act and us as it like you have the Schlepp sisters right. or for you sure. know duet acts that are solos by themselves Still have a, sister, a different name. Um,
3: I don't think that happened, though, until recently. I don't think we started billing as that until last year's New mm-hmm. York Burlesque Festival.
0: I think we officially did it at last year's New York Burlesque Festival. Because yeah. we actually asked them to change it. Yeah. We submitted the application as phone to word. Then we said, can you change that when we got in? And they mm-hmm. did. Oh, that's awesome. So we decided, let's just make that an official duo title. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Well, it's funny that you mentioned, like, everybody needs a tagline. Because I do feel like... I mean, it depends on the host and it depends on the show. Sometimes everyone remembers everybody's tagline. Sometimes they yeah. don't, you know. And everyone's fairly lax with it. But like, uh, like, some appeal, you know, has a thousand
0: <laughs> right, taglines.
2: That's... And at this point, it's a gag that, yes. like, every time she's at We Burlesque, she comes. He gives her another another one or brings another one out of the vault. And so, yeah. you know, I always thought that was very funny about Burlesque. And so, of course. But I hadn't. I didn't get to know you both until I knew you as the Brides of Burlesque. Cause I only met you within the last few years, and so to me, it seems like that's just been it forever. Like you've always been that, and yeah. so it's it's cool to hear where that comes from. Um, so I'm very honored that you asked me to DJ your new variety show. Yes, thank that you. as of this release will have just happened, but there will be another one in April. Um, what was the uh, impetus to do? a variety show versus a burlesque show? Because you've both, ho- you know, hosted and, and and performed in a ton of burlesque shows. What was the the reason why you wanted this specifically to be a variety show?
3: It's, well, it's not our first show that we've produced. We've right. done a couple at Coney Island. Um, we did our Lesbo variety show at Club Cumming last fall. Mm-hmm. Um, and we decided to make it more of a variety show versus just a straight burlesque show because of the artists that we are like mm-hmm. we do more circ and theater and with burlesque mm-hmm. um but we wanted a more diverse show not saying burlesque shows cannot be but we wanted different kinds of um performers
0: yeah and i think it also um i think well when you know we had produced lesbo variety show which is sort of a quarterly show. It has a home at Stonewall Inn now. Mm-hmm. So it'll be like we'll have a pride show and, and special event shows. Oh, cool. And our Queer Coney show is twice a year at Coney Island. And it But it highlights specifically LGBTQ circus sideshow performers. Mm-hmm. So it is strictly for those disciplines only. Right. And literally, this show came about when we did the fifth year anniversary at for Bizarre. Greg and mm-hmm. Jean out at Bazaar. And I went in like the next Tuesday afternoon to pick up our pay, they said, you can come in and pick up pay now. And I walked in and Gregory said, oh, let me get it. Do you have a second? I said, sure. And I sat down with him and John and he was like, so would you and your wife want to produce a show here? And, um, you know, I sort of did the, like, like shopping for a car thing when you find the perfect <laughs> color. Where inside I was like, yes! And outside I was like, well, let me talk <laughs> to my wife.
2: Because
0: um, we don't decide things alone. No, of course um, not. But specifically they said, you know, we love what you do And we specifically want you to bring the sort of provocative, political kind of nature of what you do into whatever show you would make. So one aspect for me was um, honoring why they asked us to do a show, Mm -hmm. because they have a great lineup of shows. Sure. So I think they specifically thought we could be something that falls in line with their overall vision and aesthetic without being like another show
3: that Mm -hmm. they have. And we are going Well, go well I was just going to say, because they already have, like, Say the Fuck You Review, which mm-hmm. is, um, a, I mean, they do have variety artists once in a while, but it is a burlesque show. and mm-hmm. it, um, It's the burlesque
0: you deserve. Yes. <laughs> and so
3: we, and they, I mean, they have drag, they have all different kinds of shows, but we wanted to try and carve out something.
0: Right, the Drag King show for beef. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, we have to do it. Beef show. Be show!
3: (laughs) We'll be
2: so happy. And
0: obviously, Hardcore is the fetish. Yeah. And Vicks is kind of like a glamour drag show.
3: It's a cabaret, too.
0: Cabaret. Like a, you know, really Mm -hmm. that feel to it of of, um, choreographed, really sort Mm -hmm. of um, show numbers. But I think for us, it was a matter of that respect. And also looking around... The whole scene and like, well, what exists already? Right. Um, There are a lot of shows, whether they're long running shows or new shows. So we didn't want to feel like we weren't um, professionally respecting things people were already doing and sort of stepping on that. We also um, wanted to do something we felt did have like our personality in it
3: and kind of aesthetic. And
0: so a variety show for us. I mean, I I always sort of describe it as like if if I Love Lucy met Cirque du Soleil and got stuck in an elevator and then the door opened. That's kind of with our with a show. horror
3: movie mixed in, right? With Italian right.
0: horror films splashed mm-hmm. all over the damn thing. So that's sort of what Eat Me Variety Show is kind of like. <laughs> well, I'm very I'm very
2: excited for it also because I've only very recently had the pleasure, um of seeing you host a bunch. And oh, to say. That your political is probably an understatement. And and that you speak your mind is also an understatement. (laughs) Um, But like so very recently, um, we worked together for TZ Roosevelt, who I love. um, And you hosted her show, her Not My President show. And you're opening It
0: was my job to be political. That's it was that's why Story. It, 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 it
2: is called Tit's Story, <laughs> which I love. She's been so wonderful. And for yes. someone who's not native in the city, New Yorker, I'm so glad I get to work with her at least once a year. Yeah. But but that show, opening it with Spoonful your version of Spoonful Sugar. Right. I wanna know where that came from because I mean it was great and you were wonderful, but clearly <laughs> to sing about Trump and to sing about what's going on. Uh huh. Is that, like, how do you start with a spoonful of sugar? How do you come to that? Well,
0: I don't start with that idea. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my favorite story, I, it, I always struggle as an artist to explain what's going on in my head to other people. <laughs> because everything <laughs> works in know. our own brain. Right. But the story that I love, do you want to tell it to me about after that show at Dixon Place and someone asked, did all that your wife think of all oh, that? Oh,
3: yeah. Well, we'll come back to that Okay. Question. No, I. Yeah. Do you want to say it now? Yeah, I'll say it really quick, and then remember okay. what the yeah. question. Yes. What again asked you? So, it, in addition to being burlesque cabaret circus performers, we also well, Faux runs a dance company that I am in. Mm-hmm. Um, you co-director. And co co-direct.
0: You co-director. Well. Co-director. Oh, which um, means no. if I think of something that's crap, she says no. We're not doing Basically. it. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Veto.
3: It. Then I'm, I'm the editor. Yes. So. Uh, we had a season at Dixon Place last winter. We were artists in residence. Artists in residence. Um, and we did um, Foe's take on Alice in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass. Ooh, cool. Um, and someone came to see the show and was talking to us in the lobby after the after the show. Uh, and was just gushing about the work. And didn't know at the time that Foe and I were married. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't know we had any relationship other than choreographer and dancer. And said something about... They said... Did
0: she think of all of that, or did all that come out of her brain, or something like that? Something
3: like that, and I said yes, and she said, I can't imagine what it's like to... You said, I have to live with that brain. I know. That's what you said.
0: (laughs)
2: Basically.
0: And I guess that really bizarre offshoot, to come back to this question, Mm -hmm. about I didn't wake up and go, I'm going to do Mary Poppins singing about Trump. Um, I, I, uh, I like to, because when you host, I mean, I don't generally like to do one of my full-blown numbers when I host because right. it's a lot mm-hmm. um, to do something with that either mess or prep. And then I feel like my job is really to, to serve the performers and the show and the producer, not to worry about an act right. that I'm going to do. But I like to do something. So I've taken to doing, you know, spoof songs or silly songs or something. Mm-hmm. And I, was, I, I racked my brain for weeks trying to spoof, like, this land is your land, sure. or some sort of folksy political song, and just every time I hated it, I just mm-hmm. thought, this is so predictable, this is so, eh, it's okay, it's like, it's the kind of laughter that it's like, thanks for that, and, you know, <laughs> but I didn't really want to go there, and I, I was very frustrated, and I was just sitting on the train listening to Mary Poppins, because we were making a Mary Poppins oh, duet, that's awesome. and that came on, and I was like, wait a minute, would that be, this is either one of those really awesome or really stupid ideas. If I played Mary Poppins singing A Spoonful of Sugar and changed some of the lyrics to, to, you know, criticize Trump and, and, you know, you sort of let it roll and then I ran it by you and I thought, I think that's different enough to actually be interesting. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. what, was,
2: what was fun about it, is, so I knew I was introducing you. Um, so I've done this at, at Parkside Loud a few times, as if the host is opening the show. I'll uh-huh. introduce, uh-huh. I've done it for Annie Keister as well. And so, like, t- uh, TZ and you had asked me to introduce you as Mary Poppins. And I'm like, Mary Poppins <laughs> what
0: for a oh, shoe. Do this.
2: And then you come out and you're dressed as Mary Poppins and you look fantastic. And then you start <laughs> to sing the song as normal. And I'm like, I just. I mean I get it. We have to take the good with the bad, but I don't know. and then you go into your your improvise your um parody verse and I'm like, "Oh, this is perfect." Like it, it what I like about the work that I've seen you both do and it could just be because I'm still getting to know you as performers, but I always feel like there's a left turn. Like there's always a sudden left turn and I appreciate that. I love classic burlesque. I love nerdy burlesque. I love um, sexy burlesque, you know, I like all of the variances, but the burlesque I like most is comedy or drama that has something you don't expect because that's more exhilarating to me. As someone who's seen as much of it as I have, mm-hmm. I just like those, those left turns. When you build act, or come up with stuff, you were saying sometimes you don't think that far ahead of yourself when you come up with stuff. But do you try and always plan that kind of shock and awe or sudden turn? Or does that just kind of develop naturally based on how you make acts?
3: I think for the most part, it kind of develops naturally. Um, An example I'm going to use is the 101 Dalmatians Act that Uh we have. um, And we were doing it where Faux comes out um, dressed as a a woman Mm -hmm. and... I'm in a Dalmatian suit and she a little doggy in the window song is playing and she picks me and then she walks me home and then I want to be your dog comes on. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were making it, okay, so it's this fetish kink puppy play, but we kept going into rehearsal and kept hitting a wall and mm-hmm. saying this isn't working, it's too predictable, mm-hmm. it's too obvious. This number's
0: been done before. So
3: we one day just stopped rehearsal, we sat down, and we just talked it out and landed on wait a minute it's 101 Dalmatians not just puppy play and the dog is gonna t- she's gonna turn into Corella de foe is and the dog's gonna turn on Cruella and skin her
0: right yeah <laughs> ah! so Amazing. yeah sometimes it comes from hitting a wall yeah. because I think I think all artists do but like we definitely um if you're do, if we're doing something that we know is a is sort of in the vein of numbers that have been done because there's only so many ideas in the universe mm-hmm. we still want there to be like that left turn that you talked about if we hit a wall and no matter what we think of we still feel like this isn't interesting to us so we don't want to go forward with it then we sometimes leave it and some at some point another door opens and you're like oh yeah it should go this direction that's interesting and that's that's sort of sometimes it happens quick sometimes we leave it on the shelf for I was just going to ask, do you guys have
2: acts that have been shelved for long periods of time because you're not sure what to do Mm -hmm. with them?
0: Sometimes um, we're not sure. Sometimes it's because then you hit a pocket of a lot of bookings in a tour and you have to sit it over. And sometimes that's good because you have to then let it have a rest.
3: Yeah, like we haven't done... There are a couple of numbers we haven't done in over a year. Like our time warp just... Because it's more of a Halloween number yeah. too, and then our Austin Powers, but that one is shelved basically because we do five quick changes on right. stage, so we need the inadequate uh, space for that, right. and there are, New York venues aren't always accommodating that way.
0: But even with War Crimes, our new number at the Box, we had wanted, like this one, we started just with the theme of what we should do a number where we explore playing Russian Roulette. That's literally what the idea was, and that sat and sat and sat, oh. and. Then it was like, okay, well, let's start playing.
3: And I found a song, and it was a tango, so we started playing with...
0: Tango. Tango. And we made partnering, and then you were like, this doesn't work, and we left it. And we kept coming back to it. And then we, as we were working on it, I just got this random idea. And I said, you know, I don't think we should just be two women doing a tango, because why? Why are they playing Russian roulette? So it ended up that the number is two women from, like... 1930s-ish rival eastern bloc nations soldiers and they can't admit they can't disclose they're in love because they would be dishonorably discharged or in prison their families would probably lose everything so they meet in a bar one last time to play russian roulette because they'd rather say goodbye on their own terms and enact this death sentence in their own way so then that gave the number a real point of view, and like mm-hmm. you don't question why we're doing it, mm-hmm. you it's really powerful. Um, people respond very strongly to it. Yeah,
2: that's awesome to rework a narrative so completely like that.
0: Mm-hmm. And that number, yeah, we let it sit and come back a lot. So it started with the idea of. Wow, wouldn't it be cool to play Russian roulette? It just was started it? with that. Right, sure. And then it was like, well, let's, with tango music, I mm-hmm. like that music, which we still use that music, mm-hmm. and then we did that for a
3: while, and I was like, this just feels like a tango with a gun. Right. You know? Right. just, yeah. I'm not going to lie, most of our, um, not necessarily seed ideas, but kind of our epiphany ideas mostly are you.
0: Well, I would say the narrative, I'm a narrative. writer, I'm a yeah. writer. Okay. So I, I think... I wouldn't even say the I wouldn't say the epiphany ideas I wouldn't take all the uh, credit well, for that I figured out the hundred one yeah I, okay, I would fine. say though <laughs> once we have that idea that right this is it that I usually write the storyline I yep. sit down and I write the number mm-hmm. but then you're great at in rehearsal you'll you're very good about going well what about this happening instead once the number is written so I think once one of us comes up with that aha mm-hmm. Then usually I'll write it out, mm-hmm. and I set here's 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 the storyboard, here's the beats, and those might change or not. Yep. And then we go in, and it's it's all collaboration after that. Yeah.
2: That's awesome. Do you guys help each other coming up with solo acts too?
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely, all the time. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, Is it like you come to each other going, ooh, ooh I have an idea, you should try this? <laughs> and some, <laughs> yes. Sometimes, and That's sometimes awesome. it's
0: because we know we need one yeah. yeah, for something where it's like, oh, I've done, I don't want to do this, the, I've done this solo enough times at this venue already, or this show, right. I mm-hmm. need something new for them. And one of us will think, well, you shouldn't have to be thought about this, mm-hmm. or doing a number based on this, yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: That's awesome. Sometimes
0: it's easier because we know each other so well, and it's like you can hit a wall with your own yeah. bag of tricks and mm-hmm. feel like you're just regurgitating. And then the other person can say, Well, what if you did it this way? or what if it was this character doing it instead? Or mm-hmm. you know, and it's fresh eyes to to throw yeah. that out there to you. Yeah. yeah.
3: And I rely on you a lot as a soloist because while I do feel like I'm a creative person and I went to both undergrad and grad school for dance, I feel like I am more My strengths lie more in performance and technique and execution versus choreography. Um, So I really appreciate our balance um, and relationship because she really steps in when I'm feeling stuck and frustrated.
0: And if this one didn't run my... Um, phone and my computer and tell me where to be when I'd be walking into a wall half the day and you'd never see any of this good stuff that we do. So she's our dance administrator. In fact, people know not even to message me if they need an answer within a day or two. Okay. They'll say, can you ask Faux to blah 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 blah. I'll keep that in so, mind going forward so we do, as we continue we have to work very together. Equitable like creative labor here. Mm-hmm. You you're the, the admin creative like you respond to all the Booking producers and that. I, I write blurbs. You I can write a blurb. Yeah. But I would not know where I'm supposed to be each I week know. at
3: all. I know.
2: I mean, <laughs> in this modern era for me, like if I don't put it in my calendar, it doesn't exist. If I don't put it in my phone, mm-hmm. and it's happened so many times where I've now, so my day job is I'm an executive assistant, and so I have wow. my boss's calendar, my calendar, my personal calendar, and my wife's calendar. Oh my and so, like, if I have a doctor's appointment in my personal calendar, but I forget to put it in my work calendar, it doesn't exist. Oh, and man. then if the alarm doesn't go off, it's less. So oh, I yeah. totally I totally understand that. <laughs> um, I've gotten better with that stuff as now I'm doing a thousand shows. Um I do have to say, though, as someone who's always admired your work before I knew you, it's really an honor to be able to work with you at this new show. Oh, an honored
0: to have you. Mm-hmm. And
2: I'm excited to do, do more and do them monthly. Um, but I want to come back now to burlesque and talk about, so Aurora, you said you have a background in dance. Mm-hmm. Um, Fauxpas, do you have a background in theater as well? Did you go to <laughs> school for that?
0: I, I <laughs> It's a doozy. It's a long one. That's I all right. studied I on scholarship at the Pennsylvania Ballet School in Philadelphia uh-huh. and Jazz Dance Chicago, um, Gus Giordano School in Chicago. I have an undergraduate degree. What did you want to say, I'm darling? I'm going to pause
3: you and start before My the Pennsylvania School. <laughs> well, you started out in I started speech. out a poor child. in. Uh,
0: <laughs> wait, what, what am I forgetting?
3: Speech. You started out in oh, I Oh, okay.
0: Back up. I started out in, in, in very young and then... Um, going into, you know, middle school, high school, I was doing a lot of theater and speech and going to the dramatic interpretation speech competitions, like poetry reading or, you know, cuttings from plays and mm-hmm. you do those. And so I went to college on a speech scholarship with the full intention of doing that and then teaching deaf children. All right. That's that's what Doris Day, Mama Faye, was going to do with her (laughs) life. Because when I was younger, Children of a Lesser God was a hit movie, and I just thought, I want to do that. I can do Uh. that. I want to do that. And the first year I went, um, because just for audience at home, I will just assume right now you're like, who the hell is this woman? I'm a trans woman. So younger, I, I grew up in a military Christian home, and so I didn't come out. Younger, I mean, I knew who I was, but I was just sort of pretending to be a boy to survive. So even though I always wanted to take dance, I didn't even ask. So when I went to college on this speech and theater scholarship, my freshman year, I signed up for a beginning ballet class. And after my freshman year, I went home and was in a silly summer stock musical. And then I went back and they said, oh, well, you have a lot of talent in this. Do you want a dance scholarship? So I switched to my major. Wow. And, um, did that. So my undergraduate degree is in dance and kinesiology and I have a master's degree in composition and kinesiology and anatomy. And subsequently I studied at Pennsylvania ballet and Gus Trinano. And I just, I was uh, found that my body type wasn't conducive to like getting a job in big classical ballet companies and no one ever smiles in those. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, I, I started choreographing in grad school, and after I knew I, I liked making work, and I danced here in New York for Sean Curran's company, um, a wonderful company that still exists. I think he's actually the chair of NYU Tisch now. Yeah. Oh, very cool. And, uh, but did Tisch the, dance. Did the... <laughs> Tisch dance. Specifically. And um, <laughs> did their first choice season with Sean, and I got to do the limited... New York engagement of Ballet Projetage from France at the Joyce. They hired me to do that. So, I did some nice things with other companies, but knew my heart was in making my own work. So, we do have a dance um, aspect to what we do. And well, this is the second year, in, in terms of what we produce, the second year we've been invited to do the Bryant Park Dance Festival. Which they're free on Friday evenings out there. So the dance ensemble will perform in that. And then in July for our Eat Me, we'll do that month, we'll do a dance company takeover of our variety show. That's awesome. So it will be devoted to, you'll get to see the kind of choreography we do that show so now because of budget we don't keep the we used to try to keep the dance company going all the time mm-hmm. it's just a lot of mouths to feed
3: mm. there's a six-person company so mm-hmm. so
0: what we've done now is that this gives us an opportunity to ongoing do our duets and solos and then produce other beautiful artists within our variety show but then probably once a year bring the ensemble together for about a two-month rehearsal period and then present them um you know so you can still see that side of us yeah
2: that's awesome. And so how did burlesque come into both your lives? Where did that discovery come from? Because it sounds like you are on a straight trajectory to just do dance and, mm-hmm. and more dance. Mm-hmm. And so how did you guys both discover burlesque?
3: I'll let you start since start. I came into it through you. So you give your okay. Um Well, I...
0: Has <sighs> this been like eight-ish years I've been doing that now? Mm-hmm. So... I had been already exploring um, in shows. I had gotten some shows in Philly Fringe and New York Fringe years ago and and things like that, that in my mind were dance-based and probably three-quarters were, but I'd started making these... I didn't know what to call them solos for myself embedded in these shows. And I went to the old slipper room one night. I don't even know why a friend and I went. And, like, Tigger was on the show and Darlinda, who's my burlesque mom now... Mm. And Rose Wood was on the show, and these amazing people. And I sat there thinking, I almost do that. I almost <laughs> already do that, sort of. And totally on a whim, I, t- I took a video of a solo that I had embedded in one of my friend's shows. That was, This was pre-marriage um, equality in New York, even. So mm-hmm. the show was about that. And I had this costume that became this huge, tiered wedding cake, and this whole elaborate costume. And looking back, it was probably a very silly little solo. But I, I sent that video in, and it got selected for New York for Less Festival. Oh wow! And I was on the opening night, and then I was scared out of my mind <laughs> because I thought, "What have I done? I'm not ready to do this. I'm right. not. I don't know what I'm doing." And um, but it, it, it went okay, and. And then from there, I got really hooked, and 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 Tigger was very gracious and helped me a lot with advice. He's one of my
2: favorite humans, um, in the you world. know. When I
0: said, "Well, what do I do now? I don't know what I'm doing." And and he was really gracious and said, "Go to shows, meet people, volunteer to go go and kitten, and you know you you're, you're talented, so just keep studying and developing." Um, so yeah, um, so, and then then of course Mama D adopted me, and and so um, but that was my entry point. Yes,
3: yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I came into through into burlesque through faux pas through her dance company. So, um, the year I graduated grad school, she was having auditions. And so, I went twice because I didn't get in the first time. <laughs> <laughs> I was
0: playing hard to
3: get. Sure. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was in the summer. So, I had danced with your company all summer through the early fall and leading up to Halloween... Um, because you were, of course, doing burlesque gigs uh, as well.
0: I would come in tired <laughs> in rehearsal for the dancers and be like, ah, I was at the box last night. Or <laughs> something.
3: I had no idea what you were talking about. <laughs> um, so you had a Halloween booking with mm-hmm. Gemini and Scorpio yeah. and wanted to do a duet because you. I didn't really have
0: a regular duet partner. I mm-hmm. had danced with several people, like in one offs, mm-hmm. and they were more like contemporary dance ish
3: burlesques kind of nothing like what
0: you see us do now right Mm -hmm. but i still was like oh well it'd be nice to do a duet
3: yeah so i said sure that sounds fun so we got together on weekends and rehearsed this act which we still do today it's it's had this crazy evolution It's a
0: lot different today
3: because we started it pre-transition for Faux.
0: um but we're also it's a lot more developed the act itself
3: yes um But, so we did that show um, for Gemini and Scorpio, and I had a really great time. Again, I didn't really perceive what we were doing as burlesque, because I didn't really know what burlesque was. Right. Um, And it was also coming from a dance perspective. And then, like I said, I really enjoyed myself, and we got a second Halloween booking that year.
0: We did a New Year's Eve show, too.
3: And we did a New Year's Eve show, and kind of through that point, we realized, one, that there was a spark there, and we wanted to explore that. And two, that I was actually getting really interested in this whole world. Um, And so we just kind of chugged along and we worked on a second duet. Um, We started out pretty slow at first, making acts.
2: And so you started as a duet partner first before going solo. That's really fascinating. And also you guys started partnering before... You knew that you, did you have any idea that you liked each other when you first started partnering? That kind of
0: happened all quick it, at the yeah, same time. Yeah,
2: like all it's at once. It's
0: a very boring lesbian trajectory. <laughs> we had a date, we moved in, you asked me to marry you, and now we have a dog and a cat. Excellent. So it's like a Norman Dykewell painting. <laughs>
3: Yeah. Well, what we, are the dog and cat's names? Clark the corgi wawa, Sir Ooh. Clark of
0: the Lower East
3: Side. Don't
2: don't remove his rank.
3: Full name: yeah. Sir Clark of the Lower East Side and Princess Sophia of the Lower East Side. Yes,
2: I had no idea you guys were living with royalty. <laughs> yes, that's amazing.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: but yeah, it, we got together quick, and mm-hmm. it was like at the same time all this was. But we did talk about. We said, you know, we don't want to try to date or. I mean, we didn't even date for long. It was like we're together. <laughs> but if we don't think, well, you never know. We don't think there's something real here. We don't just want to do a hookup. Yeah. Right. So, you know, we didn't want it to just be a quickie thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's how that happened. That's
3: how that happened. Oh, well, and then going into, when we started out, too, for the first two years, I did not want to do any solos. You so had no I, interest? Resi- you resisted I had, it. I resisted yeah. it. I had no interest. Not that I didn't appreciate all the soloist out there uh, and what you do, I just it was terrifying so it was
2: a lack of confidence thing it mm-hmm. was like it was a fear thing, okay,
3: um because burlesque was so new to me right uh, and also, as I said before, I didn't feel like I was much of a choreographer, I just had no idea where to start, and it I had no desire um I was content enough just to to partner with you and do our duets, and then I do think it was Cherry's show that started me doing,
0: doing
2: solos
3: doing solos.
0: And now I come home and you shove the coffee table over and you're rehearsing.
2: Now, <laughs> <right now>. <laughs> True. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I've learned if burlesque has taught me anything, it's that you. it really is fake it till you make it. It's absolutely mm-hmm. do first, think later. Because mm-hmm. that's how the DJing starting. I was, you know, just DJing a few shows. I wasn't even putting together my own playlists. Or even having the music sent to me. I was just showing up and pressing buttons. And it evolved from there. Hosting, too. It was a troupe wanted me to host because they trusted me as a male MC. They said, we trust you backstage. We trust you as an MC. Just do it. And, like, the whole Night Blind side of me. I don't remember (laughs) anything I said. Everyone said I was great. But literally, it was like I blacked out and woke up and the show was over. Whereas now, I'm super comfortable on stage. And I think it's just... People in the arts... You know, there is things and advice and stuff you can tell people, but I feel like the reality is you just have to do it. Yeah. Because the more you overthink it, the less likely you are to do it.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely. It's de- I think all things, I mean, while while you, you can have your background and training, which are very valuable. And one thing I love about the art of burlesque is the diversity of backgrounds of people mm-hmm. as opposed to other art forms where we are mainly dancers or mainly singers. You can have no... Formal theatrical training, or some or a lot in things, or come from a business background, or I'm a painter. And you know, you find these people and it infuses their work, mm-hmm. which is really cool. But yeah, I mean, I have a public speaking background and I'm comfortable talking. But now, just like you've experienced, you know the animal of hosting a burlesque show. Right. Whereas the first time I'm like, Announce what? Right. Talk about what? Whereas now you know those are pretty much normal things. Uh-huh. You're basically more saying, where do you want that to happen? You're not going, you want me to do what? Mm-hmm. what, what you? I don't know what that is. You know. Whereas now it's like, yeah, talk about the raffle. Or yes, make that announcement about consent. Or make yeah. that announcement yeah. about this. That's just sort of normal to the flow. It's just where am I doing it for you uh-huh. this time? Right. Yeah. Totally.
3: Then we get to do, well for me this is, The next level of fear and excitement is now for Eat Me and going to co-host. And that is completely another step for me that is mildly terrifying, but very exciting. You'll be awesome. We'll see.
2: (laughs) No. Well, yeah, I mean, but it, also with things like that, I feel like you have to kind of jump in. Like, yeah. you know, I try, and I've tried in the past. Like, I had horrible stage fright, which is slowly receding, but I tried singing a duet with my wife. We were going to do um, Rainbow Connection because she's a singer-songwriter and Aww. an actress. And we were going to do it at the Way Station, which is where we met. And I knew everybody in the crowd. Like, literally, I was singing for my friends, mm-hmm. and I still froze up on stage. Aww. I couldn't sing. She had to sing the song. By herself, We sang together a little. And it was like one of those things where it's like, like there was no reason to be afraid. I knew Aww. everybody. And I still was. Which is why I was terrified to host the first time. Mm-hmm. But now recently, like I hosted a show at Bazaar for Magical Girl Burlesque. Okay. And I shot out a few jokes. They didn't land. And I was like, all right, I'll just move on. Like, <laughs> wow. It's like, yeah. I wasn't worried. I didn't get upset. I just heard crickets and went, I guess I'll introduce a performer all now. Right. You know, and I've always loved the burlesque community because they're for the most part, is this sense of support and building each other up, especially if you roll in the right circles. Mm. Um, and I don't know if this is the case for you, but I feel like for me, if I never met people like you and Victor Devon and uh, Femme Appeal, like, I wouldn't have the confidence to do what I do. You were talking about how you debuted at a festival and then started to learn. Was there, you know, what you mentioned that uh, Darlender, Just Darlender helped like mold you and get started did that really give you your backbone to keep moving forward with the art or was it just you already had the drive and you just wanted to do it
0: um i think i've always had a drive to make art Mm -hmm. i think what where i thought there might be somewhere um for me to be to have this be the place that would be the best home I think being someone who was on the cusp of, of coming out, even though I had known all my life who I am, um, on the cusp of that uh, and the things I wanted to express, there aren't a lot of live performance. Sure, film, sure. painting, other things. There aren't a lot of live performance forums that allow the room for the, for the things I was feeling I wanted to express, mm-hmm. whereas, and also have the audience not confused as to right. what's happening. Right, like they would um, be
2: understanding and along for the ride. And
0: I also think that, um, you know, there are, even in New York, anywhere, the space for women and then women of color and then trans women however, whatever bottom feeder order you want to put that in, (laughs) in the, in the soup of the world, I do feel while there's still a struggle and, and I'm not going to claim that anything's perfect. I know there's, there's lots of things to still be talked about even within our industry. Mm -hmm. I do think the chance for women, um, marginalized women, trans women to have platform, Power directorship—at least, I do see those opportunities happening more in this industry mm-hmm. than I do other performative art industries. Sure. Not to negate any struggle or frustrations that exist, but when I think of my back, my background in dance, almost—I mean, dance is a female-populated field. Most, you know, if you think about ballet and dance, but still, most major directors and choreographers are men. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. How does that work out like that? You know, so when you think... It's changing a little in film. and But, I mean, if you think about that, um, you know, you do have more shows produced and or hosted by women in burlesque mm-hmm. than other industries. And, again, I'm not saying that that makes it all perfect and wonderful. So I think there was that. And then the inspiration I... Um, I mean, the, the funny thing about it was I... I was terrified. I got booked. Tigger helped me get this booking on a a fundraiser that he couldn't do. And so I got booked. And I went in the dressing room and Darlinda was sitting there. And so I'm like sort of starstruck. (laughs) Yeah, of course. And I just walked up and I was like, hi, you know who I am. But you're amazing. I'm sure she doesn't even remember what I said. (laughs) And I ran into her a couple more times and she said, you're really good. And I said to her, I just got up the gumption. I said, will you adopt me? (laughs) So I I asked her to and she said sure. Mm -hmm. And because the things she did, and I think too, knowing who I was, even though I I hadn't formally told anybody, Mm -hmm. I think I I gravitated to Mama D because here was this woman doing this powerful, crazy shit. Like, literally pulling shit out of her body on stage and, and doing these things that I thought, okay, see, that's That's what I I need to aspire to do. Um, That's my aesthetic. I'm Mm -hmm. not a classical Mm -hmm. burlesque performer, and they're amazing. I'm not a nerdlesque performer. Oh, that's so. That's who I need to to help me, and Mm -hmm. I need to watch them and to talk to me because. So I think that's part of it too. Was I just felt an artistic. And I guess just like a, a sort of um, emotional connection to her. Yeah.
2: I think that the thing that the, has been the best about the Russian community is if you bond with someone and they get you, it's really beneficial for everybody. Yeah. Like I, I I started with Wasabasco and I bonded really hard with Nasty Canastu, who I've become very great friends with. And she's one of those people that I always looked at in the community as like, she's... Unbelievable, And this, you know, this huge... You know, a movie star to me. Yeah, yeah. And then you spend time with her and sh- she makes fart jokes and likes <laughs> Star Trek like anybody else. Yeah, sure. yeah. And that was always super comforting to me. And then also, Burlesque has educated me far and beyond anywhere else I've ever been. Like, I knew... And I didn't live a sheltered life. But, I, you know, I, I, I knew that I was bi even though I didn't know I was bi. Mm. And I didn't really always voice it. But then, like, I had no experience with... Anyone who's, who is who is transgender at all, growing up, or I probably did, but didn't really know I did. Sure. And so I've just learned so much, and like I didn't know about straight harassment because, of course, I'm a white male growing up, straight presenting. So like, what do I know from that personally? And I've gotten to learn so much from a huge variety of people that I found in no other community, only the burlesque community. And it, you're right, it, it's not perfect. It has its ups and downs. But I'm so grateful for the education that I've gotten from this community and the people in it Mm -hmm. that I learn what's okay, what's not okay, you know, how people express themselves. The first time I ever saw Leave Alone's Gandalf act, Mm -hmm. I cried and I didn't know why I was (laughs) crying. But I felt the transition and, like, and then he talked about it afterwards we were chatting and he's like, yeah, this is this is about my transition. I love Lord of the Rings and I'm a huge nerd, but this is a stage representation of my yeah. transition. I was like, of course it is. Mm-hmm. Like, and it makes so much sense now. Yes. And so like, even though I don't know what necessarily how to articulate everything I'm seeing, I'm learning a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a really valuable... This, this whole preamble was leading somewhere. I promise. <laughs> um, is there a really valuable lesson that you can point back to that you learned in burlesque or dance or theater that has informed kind of how the performer you are now?
3: Well, it, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's <laughs> going to sound fun. good, honey, on the yeah. program. Yeah, there you You're go. welcome <laughs> at home. Um, for, well, for me, this is not so much about the greater community, but for me as an individual is to not be afraid and mm-hmm. to put yourself out there and take risks and get... I sound like Miss Frizzle. Get messy. Take make a <laughs> stick. Whatever her slogan Get is. Get messy, kids. Yeah.
2: Um.
3: So that's been the biggest thing for me. It's really helped me come out of my shell and feel confident and strong and powerful as a woman and a a, a creator in this industry. I
0: think. Um, I mean, there are many things, um, but I think something that of late that has really. I have felt is uh, all of us but I can only speak for myself we all I'm sure especially in the last year Mm -hmm. have felt a lot of pressure Mm -hmm. from a lot of places um, very real and then some of it I'm sure are anxiety within the sea of stress and I think something that even though I was very aware of of my place in culture or my lack thereof, um, just a brief, like one member of my biological family even speaks to me and that's very twice a year. Uh, they're trying, but you know, <laughs> um, and so that, you know, there's adopted wonderful family in New York, but there's been a lot and I, I'm not even I'm going to try to explain or go into the dysphoria of kind of, you know, transitioning and there's the, Authentic joy But then this real uh, Surrealism of this Person that all these people Want to cling to That's not real you, It's almost like All of that was a dream And you're dead But these people are all still alive That you, they're, you're dead to them So it's a very surreal Feeling to think like I'll never introduce Or I'll, I'll never take my wife And show her where I went to high school Right Or any of these things They, they happened But they didn't really happen Right you know, It's a very strange life And I think this year, especially as things crumble in terms of specific types of uh, um, policies directed at trans people, um, I've had to sort of let go of there being any tangible um, goal for myself of my position in the grander scheme of the world ever improving in my life. Because that's probably not going to happen. So I I live with this fear of, well, I have a a muggle job now, but if something happened with that job, how employable am I? And what would I do? Like, I'm really on the bottom of the food chain as a 48-year-old trans woman. That's really attractive in the job market. And all these other issues that, that bombard you. And it can really, it can cause you to be so emotionally fatigued. And so what has really been this sort of um, moving thing to keep me going this last year is that uh, this, this space, whether it be provided by invitation by Gregory and Jean or forging our own, we've sort of taken power for ourselves. And even if it's a little show in a little you know, little awesome venue somewhere in Brooklyn, we aren't waiting for someone to say, Mm -hmm. here's your opportunity. And I also have this perspective of, sure, we'd all love more income and more um, respect and notoriety for what we do. But I I also have this really um, profound uh, joy in just the act of the four minutes that mm-hmm. we're making contact on stage and contact with an audience or that I have this mic and I'm trying to to have this fun and meaningful connection with the five or 50 or 100 people that are there that night. Mm-hmm. And I it's allowed me the gift of being in the present moment mm-hmm. because that stuff's still outside that door. But when you walk in and pay your five bucks or your no money because you don't have money that night or your 10 bucks and you sharing your beer with your friend because rents do we all that's magical. That Mm -hmm. moment in that space is magical and that we have power over. So that's really what it has been for me, especially this year is it the power we do have Mm -hmm. while it's important to march and to protest and to fight the larger monster, the joy that we have in this thing that we do is our birthright, and together we can't let that be taken. Mm-hmm. That that makes life. That's when life is a tragedy. Mm-hmm. When even within um, the worst times, we don't find the things that belong to us and together celebrate them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's
2: beautiful. That was very profound. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that.
0: You're welcome. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, but no, I agree. I think I. Also, as someone who is in his mid-30s and wanted to be a DJ his whole life, used to sit with his dad in I remember mid-30s. Finals.
0: That was so long Stop, ago. Stop. <laughs> please.
2: Get out of here. Um, but, you know, this idea that I'm now a working DJ, I have my own equipment, I DJ private events, is not a thing I ever thought I could accomplish in my lifetime. I... I thought that it just wasn't possible based on the way modern DJs looked mm-hmm. and the modern show show showbiz landscape and the fact that I discovered burlesque and it taught me things that I'm now using in other places and I think you're absolutely right you have to hold on to that happiness cuz shit sucks out there mm. frankly and I'm someone who can blend in with the normal folk and I don't and What is normal? Anymore? I know, but it's like this thing where it's like I know I have it easier and I'm doing everything I can to help make things better for others because that's all I can do <laughs> and listen. And it's funny, a friend of mine asked me the other day, he's like, why do you retweet stuff so much? Why don't you say anything yourself? I said, because there's way more artic- articulate people with firsthand experience that need to be heard, mm-hmm. not me. I don't, I don't need to. Mm-hmm. And that's why I've liked being behind the scenes in burlesque as well and DJing and curating because I love being a part of the sports structure that lets these things happen that make me happy and make other people happy. Um, My final question for you guys before we wrap up is if you could offer one piece of advice, whether silly and short or long, whatever it is, what would you tell up and coming performers now who are trying to get their foothold in something?
3: Mm -hmm. Do you want to answer that one?
2: You can go.
3: Oh, I don't. I have to think on it. <laughs> <laughs> I um, heard that as you talk. You right. can talk. Uh-huh. It's fine. I
0: mean, yeah, that's that's like a big question. I mean, there's so many practical things. Sure. Um, I, think, I think the thing I would say, because when I started, we talked about this a little bit back in the interview, you know, it wasn't, I guess, as common to say, go take classes at New York School of Burlesque, sure. or there weren't those entry points. And I find now there's this double-edged sword, too, of I see young performers and they're, they're like, racking their brains over a tagline and photos and a bio and a website and Instagrams and this. And I'm thinking, this is all important, but you're, like, now the prefab rock band with one song. Like, that's important. But you have to build a repertoire and believe me the first you might out of the first five acts you make you might have one that in five years you're is a keeper mm-hmm. because we all like look back and go oh there was a good idea there maybe I make that into something so try not to get too wrapped up in like the media social media part so much that you forget that you, know, you are making tangible art and who you are over there, and what you're promoting—that marketing, that brand—is important. But you've got to have something to brand. Um, they didn't come up with a slogan and a name, then make soda. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't say Coca-Cola. Now, what should it be? A hat? Soda? Mm-hmm. And so, I feel like while well, that's important, it's very important. But don't lose sight of, well, what is your what's your mission statement as an artist? Why are you right. doing this? Mm-hmm. And yes, bookings and all that, but I mean, why? Yeah. At the end of the day, what is it you want to say? What are you about as a performer? And the rest of the things will take care of themselves, okay, I think. Exactly. So, And I, then you'll have more joy in it. So mm-hmm. that would be what I would say.
3: That's nice. I would just say simply not to get overwhelmed with the sea of performers in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like there are constantly waves of new performers and... I'm sure as a new performer, or maybe not, maybe I'm speaking on their behalf and I don't know what I'm talking about, but uh, I can imagine it would be very overwhelming um, to be one of many, but to that I would say the burlesque scene in New York is huge, and there are tons of, of performers of different uh, caliber, not calibers, experience levels is what I want to say, um, and there are also a ton of producers, and there are a ton of venues, and a ton of shows, so um, finding shows and performers that you connect with either on a technical level or a emotional level or a theatrical level what have you um finding people like how you said um finding people that you get and Mm -hmm. get you and that connection um it takes time but just putting yourself out there so you can kind of find your niche
0: yeah just to add on to that real quick and don't Like, there are shows still, like, we'll go see and be impressed by them. We'll be like, yeah, we shouldn't send our stuff to that producer because we don't fit on that show. Right. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean we are not, we don't feel good about our work. But certain, you're producing, you have a vision. And, like, we'll, now that we're producing, we'll go see a show and think, they were great, but they don't really fit our show. Mm -hmm. You know, so don't get frustrated if you don't get on certain shows. Because there are some shows that your aesthetic isn't a good match for what their clientele is coming to see.
3: That you doesn't know. mean at all that you right. aren't a good performer, or,
0: or yeah. What have you. It just means that you, the industry is diverse, and some producers maybe are doing sort of a more of a, um, I guess a smorgasbord show. Mm-hmm. Some producers have a clear aesthetic, and their audience follows that. So it may or may not be a fit if you send your videos into them, but don't let that frustrate you. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on my sure, show. Sure. Thanks it's for been, having us. It's been an honor and a privilege, as I've said many times, and I will continue to say. Um, there's one final request I have. We have a saying <laughs> on this show. Oh, that, a saying. Yeah, I have a tagline. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> um That I made up because it applied to my life, and I've kind of just used it as this overarching, you should do what you're, you love, and that should be your life. And the saying is, Music is life and life is good. This idea that, you know, art is life essentially. And so if you would just say my sign off of music and life, music is life and life is good. I would love that.
0: Okay. Are we ready? Uh-huh. Music is life and life is good.
1: If you enjoyed these interviews, please subscribe to this and the Crash Chords podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. You can also like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to post in the comment area below each post. And keep the discussion going, because remember, music is life, and life is good.